John chapter 15, beginning at verse 17. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hate me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have seen with me, you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to me, to you. Let's join together in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, we do ask in these moments that you might be speaking to us, reminding us that we are part of your body, the church across the world, that you would help us to love well and serve you and make Jesus known, whatever the cost, always to your glory. Amen. You have watched uh, numerous debates in the now unprorogued House of Commons over uh, recent days, I'm sure, and I'm not going to ask you what you think of the current uh, incumbents of office in our nation, but you know the setting. And in that setting, on the 13th of May, 1940, Winston Churchill stood up to make his inaugural address as the new Prime Minister. And he said in words that are now famous and known by us all, I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. And we know how Churchill's prediction proved to be true. As the nation passed through a lengthy time of, of toil that took a heavy toll upon those who had to live through those years. Some of you uh, know this from personal experience. And Jesus, at the end of his ministry, drawing toward his last days, gathers his disciples and shares with them the words in our passage for study this morning. He says in verse 20 of chapter 15, 
Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. How strange that the world saw the one who was the Lord of love as a person to hate. Or the Prince of Peace as someone against whom they would go to war. And the call to follow Jesus is a call to pay a high price. The people of this world persecuted the sinless Son of God. And they will persecute those who faithfully seek to follow him. These are days of spiritual warfare. And there is a price to pay for those who seek to stand up for Jesus Christ in this world. Again, back to those days of the Second World War, 1939, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had been appointed to a a teaching post in New York's Union Theological Seminary. But quickly he realized that this was a mistake. He recognized that he would be unable to play his part in the rebuilding of his nation, Germany, after the war that was unfolding. And he said he, he could not have a voice to speak into that situation if he had not traveled through those dark and difficult days with them. So he returned to Germany, the very last passenger steamer to cross the Atlantic. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer wrote, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The the gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace but because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace, because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear, a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Bonhoeffer's words are worth heeding. He knew what he was writing about. He was hung, executed in Flossenburg concentration camp on the 9th of April 1945, two weeks before the camp was liberated and 23 days before the German surrender. It's some time ago since we were in a study together of of John's gospel back in, in chapter 15. We considered then how Jesus calls his followers to abide in him. And the consequence of abiding in him was that we would bear much fruit. And then in that verse with which Sand Regan are reading, verse 17, he says, Love one another. And and all that Jesus is saying are all facets of the one thing. 
Jesus calls us to abide in him or to, to, to experience faithfulness to him, which leads to fruitfulness for him and fellowship with him. Love one another, he says, and this is crucial because there's a day coming when the world will hate you. And followers of Jesus need to, to know the un- unity, the, the bond of love together. Because we are not to be bonded in love to this world. The very opposite. The world will not love us because we love Jesus and love one another. They will hate us. Jesus said you will be persecuted. Now it's important to understand the context of these words. That that Jesus is saying that our purpose as believers, those who, who choose to follow Christ, we don't go out to get ourselves persecuted, to make ourselves hateful. Rather, we go out to bear fruit for Christ in this world. You know, there are some people who are hated, not because they're good Christ-like Christians, but simply because they're horrible, obnoxious people. I remember always one man comes to mind, and, and he used to think it was because of his stand for the gospel that people didn't like him. But that was not the truth. People didn't like him because he was horrible to people. And if you are persecuted for being obnoxious, slap it into you. You deserve it. Hopefully it will knock some sense into you. For there's no merit in being persecuted for being a pain in the neck. No, God's people don't go looking for persecution. We don't have to. If we go into this world seeking to be fruitful for Jesus Christ, seeking to live faithfully before him, persecution will find us. Here, verse 18 begins with the word if, if the world hates you, if. But the, while most versions of the Bible translate that as if, it's not so much if, but when, when. Persecution is inevitable. 1 John 3, 13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. So, so why are we not to be surprised if we're persecuted, if the world hates us? Well, three things. Follow through with these with me. We are hated. Persecution is inevitable because we have a new master. Because of our faithfulness to Christ, because we seek to obey his commands We will be persecuted. Persecution is inevitable because we have a new master. Isn't it funny the things that stay with you throughout your life? I still remember. It's about 50 years ago. But I can still remember where it happened, uh, where I was. I had my bike with me. I always remember this very well. And, And there was one young guy in our school, primary school, who was the school bully. And I remember, unfortunately, running into him, which was the worst thing in the world. I was on my own, and he stopped me, and he asked me the question. And the question was this, he said, Do you support Rangers or Celtic? And now there was a significant problem with that question. Because it wouldn't have mattered what answer I gave. And there only were two answers, Aberdeen, Dundee United, Inverness, Caledonian Thistle was not going to be accounted. It was Glasgow, Celtic, Glasgow Rangers. Who do you support? And whatever team I would say, 
he would choose the other one and then he would punch me. That was how this worked. And I didn't take it personally because he did this to everyone. It wasn't something that was special for me. Jesus said, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you change sides. You change teams. You are no longer swimming downstream with the world's current behind you. You're going against the grain of the world. In your decisions, in your allegiances, all of these are contrary to what the world would have you be and to do. Jesus said, if they kept to my word, they would keep your word also. And this means they're not going to like what you are saying to them. They don't like what I'm saying to them, but still, you must say this and it will prove to be unpopular. Whatever answer you give to the world's questions, if you give the truth of God's word, they will not like it. They will not accept it. If you seek to be faithful to Jesus Christ, it will be Costly. It always has. It always will. In 1636, the Presbyterian minister Samuel Rutherford was banished. He was having a successful, profitable ministry in Galloway where he was faithful to God, but uh, the powers that be removed him from his charge and sent him to Aberdeen. And his reaction to his banishment was one of joy. He wrote a letter to Lady Kenmure and he said this. The honor, the honor that I have prayed for these 16 years with submission to my Lord's will, my kind Lord has now bestowed upon me even to suffer for my royal and princely King Jesus and that the freedom of the kingdom that his father hath given him. Rutherford understood those words that the Apostle Paul writes. Philippians 1.29, he says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Or or James, the Lord's brother, says this in, in the opening of his letter. He says, Consider it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All joy, the privilege of suffering for Christ. It's not how we think, but it's how it is. And while Rutherford was imprisoned in Aberdeen, he wrote these words. God hath called you to Christ's side. And the wind is now in Christ's face in this land. And seeing ye are with him, ye cannot expect the lee side or the sunny side of the brain. If your Lord call you to suffering, be not dismayed. There shall be a new alliance of the king for you when ye come to it. 
one of the softest pillows Christ hath is laid under his witness's head, though often they must set down their bare feet among the thorns. See, if you choose to stand up for Jesus Christ in this world, if you throw off the mastery of the world, the flesh and the devil, If through saving grace by his power you live in faithfulness and loyalty to him, there will be a price to pay. Or maybe it's better to say there is an investment to be made. Because rewards beyond measure will be given to those who prove faithful. God's people in this world will be persecuted because they have a new master. And also we need to see that They'll be persecuted because they have a new nature, which should lead to fruitfulness for him. Verse 19, you are not of the world. We know it's a tragic reality in our world that the the stranger, the alien, is systematically abused. Simply being different, sized, in hair color, in intellect, in skin color, background. For whatever reason, the, the, the list is endless. People are very creative when they want to exclude you. But if you are different from all the people around you, it will make you vulnerable in a sinful world. And what a tragedy it is that so many times in history that the the church has been the one who has victimized, persecuted minorities. But if you seek to live a fruitful life, a life that bears the influence of God by his work, if a spirit in your heart that, that makes you demonstrate love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, these fruits of the Spirit, amazingly, this will attract not warmth and welcome, but opposition and persecution. Paul wrote to Timothy shortly before his death from the Martine prison in Rome. He said to Timothy 3.12, he said, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution for fruitful living is evidence that you are a child of God. As Bishop J.C. Ryle said, it's the hallmark of the true Christian. Douglas Webster, professor of pastoral theology and preaching, writes, Mission sooner or later leads into passion. Every form of mission leads to some form of the cross. The very shape of mission is cruciform. We can understand it only in terms of the cross. He's saying we cannot be fruitful for God in this world unless we we come into a deeper understanding of what it is to suffer for Christ. As we began our service, John 12, 24, Truly, truly, said Jesus, I I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Fruitfulness comes necessarily out of suffering. You cannot be fruitful for Christ if you don't suffer for him. You know the words that Amy Carmichael wrote. She said, Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. 
I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer, spent. Leaned me against the tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet, as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Jesus sends his followers into this world to be light, light of the world. We know, again, earlier in John, John 3.19, these words, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People love darkness. You've all had that experience, haven't you? You're in that beautiful, deep, restful, much-needed sleep. And someone comes in and they turn on the bright light, the brightest light in the room, and sleep as you might try, there's not a chance. Nobody has ever welcomed the light being turned on in their bedroom as they've slept, unless their house is on fire or they're late for a very important appointment. When light shines into your slumbers, it disturbs you. Jesus calls his people to be lights into this world and to disturb those who are all too comfortable in their darkness, all too content in their sin. In his play, Othello, William Shakespeare has Lego, the villain of the story, say of Cassio, one of the heroes. He said, he hath a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. The beauty of Cassio's life distresses, disturbs Lego. He he can't bear it. And it says in the conclusion of this, Lego says, he must die. The new nature, the beauty of Jesus in the lives of his children unmasks the ugly nature of the hearts dominated by sin. And when you live in faithfulness to Christ, as you live in conformity to his word and confront this world, they will not take it well. Don Carson puts it like this. Those who preach Jesus' gospel and live in progressive conformity to his own life and teaching will attract the same antagonism that he did. And yet, we're not to shy away. We're not to back down. Paul says... Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Live a fruitful life, whatever the consequences. Yes, it will deeply discomfort those who are living in darkness, but how else will they see the light if it's not shown from your life? God's people in this world have a new master, a faithfulness to him. And they have a new nature, a, a fruitfulness for him. And finally, we see they have a new family, which brings fellowship with him. You know the story of Paul's conversion in Acts 9. There we read verse 3. 
Now, as he went on his way, he, that's Paul or Saul, approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Raymond Brown comments, The persecution of Christians is not only patterned after the persecution of Jesus, but the persecution of Christians is the persecution of Jesus. See, Paul was blissfully going about his business. He was passionately pursuing uh, the, the demise of the church and he sought to take believers wherever he could find them and have them imprisoned, tortured, or killed. And he thought he was striking out against the church. He didn't understand. His actions were directly against Jesus because the two are one. The church is the body of Christ. And Jesus uniquely associates himself with the persecuted church. And the challenge for us is, do we? Do we remember, do we pray for, do we support and speak out for our family members who face difficult days, who come through hard-pressed times? You see, we live in a privileged position. But the the challenge of that is that God's word reminds us over and over again that that, that to whoever much has been given, of him much shall be required, Luke 12, 48. We have fantastic resources, ample opportunities to serve Jesus in this world. But do we? And yes, Samuel Rutherford's description of what was happening in Scotland four centuries ago, reflects what's happening in our nation today. He said, the wind is now in Christ's face in this land. And it is, but understand it's only a gentle breeze. This is no storm that we are facing, although now the journey of following Christ for believers in this place is at least a little uphill. But the truth is it costs us so little, if anything, to follow Jesus. While all across the world, even today, our brothers and sisters in Christ are laying down their lives to be faithful to him. And these are our people. These are our family in Jesus Christ. We must not close our ears to them or harden our hearts toward them. For the Lord will hold us guilty. And so there are many ways in which we can be involved. We can support organizations that minister to people in the persecuted church. We can give financial and we can uh, help practically. We can assist prayerfully. And we must. And we must also be like Jesus or Stephen. And as they suffered at the hands of evil men, they prayed for their persecutors. And, and while we pray for the persecuted church, we pray for those hearts that are intent on evil. We return love when hated. God calls us to faithfulness to Jesus, whatever the cost, which leads to fruitfulness for Jesus as we reveal his new nature in our lives to this world. And that brings us into fellowship with Jesus as we love and care for this new family of which we're a part, our brothers and sisters all across the world. Just like Britain in the 1940s, 
I can't say that you're called to a life of ease and, and trouble-free and prosperity and all these cast-iron guarantees that some might offer. But for those who know their hope rests in Jesus, they are secure that their victory is already won. And that one day there will be immeasurably rich rewards showered upon them in, in the life that's yet to be. But in the meantime, we know that God by his spirit empowers us and through his word equips us to make a difference for him in this place, this time. May we be faithful, may we be fruitful. May we walk in fellowship for this task. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you call us to yourself through Jesus. May we understand all that is involved in such a call. It's so easy to go with the world, go with the flow, the current of this age, just to fit in, not to stand out, not to be awkward, not to be difficult. But Lord, that's not like Jesus. Lord, may we with Great reliance upon you. Stand firm in this world. Stand up for Christ. Make much of him. Although it may lead to great unpopularity or indeed active persecution, may we let your truth be known. We thank you, Lord, for the strength still in our nation of those who are willing to Stand up and be counted for the cause of Christ. And we understand it's so easy in our world, even in our workplaces, even in our family circles. While at times it may be a little bit embarrassing, maybe people might even say hurtful things to us. The cost is insignificant. Lord, may we be willing to pay it. May we be faithful to you in small things. And we understand, Lord, all across the world there are people today who, as they gather for worship, are unsure whether they'll be safe, whether they're being watched, whether their families or their businesses will be protected. They're unsure that even their lives will be spared, whether it's from uh, oppressive regimes uh, who seek to clamp down on anything that stands against their will, their purpose, whether it's uh, the rise of... Islam in in, in nations where anybody who does not praise Allah is put to death. Lord, we pray that these men and women who seek to worship you today would know your all-sufficient grace upon them. And they would know that we, their brothers and sisters, have not forgotten them, but care deeply for them and seek to share in their ministry, their mission, to make the beauty of Christ seen in their countries. So bless us, Lord. Make us faithful and fruitful, we pray to your glory. Amen.